For any American who has flown on a commercial plane in the post-9-11 era, airport security is just an inevitable phenomenon present whenever you plan on flying anywhere. The largest, busiest airports in the U.S. are labeled Category X by the Transportation Security Administration. Category X airports usually have very tight security measures, including X-ray scanners, millimeter wave scanners, and explosive trace detectors. Some small regional airports, meanwhile, don't even have X-ray scanners, instead opting to do manual searches of all bags. To the TSA's credit, there hasn't been a successful hijacking of any commercial flight leaving from the U.S. since 9-11. However, routine tests by the Department of Homeland Security consistently find that the TSA allows an alarming amount of fake weapons and paraphernalia through airport security, meaning that the American airport security system is far from perfect. Airport security in Israel, meanwhile, is consistently shown to be the best in the world. The machinery at Ben Gurion Airport, Israel's largest, isn't particularly different from the technology at American airports. What sets Israeli airport security apart is the notorious security interview. All travelers leaving from Ben Gurion Airport must undergo an interview with airport security. In this interview, travelers are asked a variety of questions to determine whether or not they pose a potential threat and are then assigned a number between 1 and 6 based on their security threat level. However, this system has been criticized for its reliance on profiling. See, those who receive a 1 as their number are almost exclusively Jewish Israelis, generally female, elderly, or traveling with family. Meanwhile, it is nearly impossible for Arabs to not receive a six, especially if they are male, young, and traveling alone. And although this system has ensured that no flight leaving from Ben Gurion Airport has ever been hijacked, it can't prevent any attacks on the airport itself. To talk about this, I also need to talk about the rise of a political movement in a country thousands of miles from Israel. Although Japan is consistently ranked one of the freest, most democratic nations in the world, one political party holds an overwhelming amount of power over the nation as a whole. With the exception of a brief stretch between 1993 and 1994, the right-wing Liberal Democratic Party has been the majority party in Japan since its foundation in 1955. Prior to the surrender of Japan at the end of World War II in 1945, Japan was a constitutional monarchy and most prime ministers were members of the far-right Imperial Rule Assistance Association. Yet another political party predates this party, the Japanese Communist Party, founded in 1922. Communism in Japan has a very long history, and it continues to be a somewhat common ideology within the nation. In the 2014 legislative elections, the JCP earned 13.3% of the vote, and it currently holds 12 seats in the Japanese House of Representatives. Today, the party primarily advocates for a democratic overhaul of the Japanese economy, the legalization of same-sex marriage, and the peaceful dissolution of the Japanese military, which it sees as illegal under Article 9 of the Japanese Constitution. 
Starting in the 1960s, however, some communist groups in Japan began to take issue with the JCP's pacifist approach. In response, the New Left movement in Japan grew in popularity, advocating for a violent overthrow of the Japanese government. One Japanese New Left organization, with the assistance of other nations, would go on to carry out a deadly attack in an airport, killing civilians of three nationalities. I'm going to tell you all about it, right now, on Historia Obscura. Welcome to Historia Obscura. This is the 48th episode of this podcast, and it's going to be one of those episodes about a topic that you might not want to talk about at the Thanksgiving dinner table. But hey, that's history for you. Special thank you to Patreon subscribers Barbara and Tom. If you want to receive a shout-out in every episode, among other benefits, help support this podcast by going to patreon.com slash historiaobscura and becoming a patron. One more thing, make sure to stick around for a little to hear a message about the sponsor of this episode of Historia Obscura, Anchor. If you want to make your own podcast, you'll want to know everything about how to use Anchor. So, based on the subject matter of this episode, I'm going to need to tread lightly while I talk. So, before I delve into the extremely controversial stuff, let's get the boring logistical stuff out of the way. Ben-Gurion Airport is located 12 miles southeast of Tel Aviv, the largest city in Israel. Originally established by the ruling British authority in 1935, the airport was renamed after Israeli Prime Minister David Ben-Gurion shortly after Ben-Gurion's death in 1973. Prior to 1973, the airport was known as Lod Airport, as it is located within the town of Lod. Due to its status as Israel's busiest airport, Lod Airport became a potential target for several Palestinian militant groups, including the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine. Founded in 1967, the PFLP is the second largest member group of the Palestinian Liberation Organization, behind the ruling Palestinian political party Fatah. The PFLP, led by Palestinian Christian militant Wadi Haddad, came to prominence after carrying out some of the first armed airplane hijackings in the late 1960s. As a far-left, anti-Western organization, the PFLP often collaborated with other similarly opinionated groups. These include groups such as the Lebanese National Movement, as referenced in the Lebanese Civil War episode, FARC, as referenced in the La Violencia episode, and communist nations such as the Soviet Union and the People's Republic of China. Most importantly for this episode, they also collaborated with a certain group within the Japanese New Left movement, the Japanese Red Army. The Japanese Red Army was founded in 1971 by communist activist Fusako Shigenobu. The JRA's main goal was to spark a proletarian revolution in Japan and to influence similar revolutions around the world. 
Having been inspired by the PFLP's airplane hijacking strategy, several JRA members hijacked Japan Airlines Flight 351 with pipe bombs and samurai swords in 1970. The hijackers then brought the plane to North Korea where they defected and released all of the hostages from the plane. After communicating with Wadi Haddad of the PFLP, the JRA decided to attack Lod Airport in order to show solidarity with the Palestinian resistance movement. The problem for them was that they needed money to pay for weapons with which they could attack the airport. The PFLP offered their assistance by hijacking Lufthansa Flight 649 and releasing the passengers on the flight in exchange for a $5 million ransom paid by the West German government. This money was then used to buy weapons for the JRA. To set the plan in motion, Shiganobu selected JRA member Kozo Okamoto to lead the operation. Okamoto had previously been incarcerated on drug charges in Lebanon, where he converted to Islam while in prison. Okamoto recruited two more JRA militants, Tsuyoshi Okudaira and Yasuyuki Yasuda, to execute the attack. On May 30, 1972, the three attackers boarded Air France Flight 132 from Rome, Italy to Tel Aviv, Israel. They arrived at Lode Airport within a few hours, disembarking at around 10 p.m. They then received their luggage, three violin cases, from the baggage claim area. Each attacker then opened one of the violin cases, which all contained assault rifles. The three men then picked up the rifles, took aim, and began firing into the crowd of travelers at the airport. Okamoto, Okudaira, and Yasuda all fired indiscriminately at any civilians they saw. An American Airlines flight carrying dozens of Christian pilgrims from Puerto Rico had just deboarded. The attackers turned their guns on these pilgrims and threw hand grenades at them in between their gunfire. Many members of the group, including Reverend Angel Berganzo, were killed. While firing at the group of Puerto Ricans, Yasuda was accidentally killed with a gunshot to the back from Okamoto. Around the same time, Israeli passengers on an El Al flight began disembarking onto the tarmac. Okudaira began firing at these passengers, killing several of them. Okudaira then committed suicide for unknown reasons with one of his own grenades. Okamoto, meanwhile, was soon shot in the ankle by airport security, before being tackled by an El Al flight attendant and arrested by Israeli police. By the time the massacre was over, 17 Puerto Rican pilgrims, 8 Israelis, and 1 Canadian tourist had been killed, and 79 more were injured. Among the Israeli victims was Aharon Katsir, a world-renowned biochemist and Labour Party candidate in the 1973 Israeli presidential election. Following his death, Katsir's brother Ephraim successfully ran for president in his place. The Lod Airport massacre was the deadliest terrorist attack on Puerto Ricans in history, and in 2006, Puerto Rico Governor Anibal Acevedo Villa declared May 30th a public holiday called Lod Massacre Remembrance Day. Meanwhile, in 2008, several PFLP members admitted that the attackers had received training from North Korean soldiers. 
In response, the families of Puerto Rican victims Carmelo Calderon Molina and Pablo Tirado Ayala sued the North Korean government in a U.S. district court for providing material support to terrorists. In July of 2010, Judge Francisco Eva Sosa ruled in favor of the victims, ordering the North Korean government to pay $378 million to the families of victims. Still, North Korea has never responded to any accusations related to the attack and hasn't paid one cent to the families of the massacre's victims. The Lod Airport massacre brought notoriety to both the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine and the Japanese Red Army. In 1976, the PFLP carried out their most famous airplane hijacking, that of Air France Flight 139. Assisted by the German revolutionary cells and the Ugandan military, the PFLP hijacked the flight and brought it to Uganda, where they held the passengers hostage and threatened to kill them if the Israeli government didn't release 53 pro-Palestinian militants, including Kozo Okamoto. In what is known as Operation Entebbe, the Israel Defense Forces were able to rescue 102 of the hostages, but four were killed, as was IDF Commando Yonatan Netanyahu, the brother of former Israeli President Benjamin Netanyahu. In 1978, PFLP leader Wadi Haddad died at his home in East Germany at the age of 50. Although he was originally believed to have died from leukemia, others have speculated that he was killed by Israeli intelligence agency Mossad. In spite of this, the PFLP continues to advocate for Palestinian nationalism and revolutionary socialism to this day through both political and militant means. The JRA, meanwhile, attempted a slew of failed attacks on civilian and military targets following the Lod Airport massacre. For example, in 1988, JRA member Yu Kikamura was arrested at a New Jersey Turnpike rest stop in Hackensack, New Jersey. Kikamura was traveling to Manhattan with the intent of bombing a U.S. Navy recruitment office. The JRA ultimately disbanded in 1931 after an announcement by imprisoned leader Fusako Shigenobu. As for Kozo Okamoto, the mastermind of the Lode Airport massacre, he was sentenced to life in prison in 1972. While incarcerated in Israel, Okamoto was allegedly tortured by prison guards. He also claimed that he wanted to convert to Judaism, and he reportedly attempted to circumcise himself with nail clippers. In 1985, Okamoto and over a thousand other prisoners were released in exchange for the release of three Israeli POWs. He is currently wanted by the Japanese government for other attacks he committed with the JRA, but the Lebanese government has granted him asylum due to his participation in attacks against Israel. He is believed to be living in a refugee camp in Beirut, Lebanon, and during a 2017 interview, the 73-year-old Okamoto said, quote, I want to return to Japan one day. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Historia Obscura. This was a very interesting episode for me to research. 
If you want to suggest an episode of Historia Obscura, send me a voice message at anchor.fm slash Historia Obscura slash message. Feel free to leave your name and location, and if I like your idea, I'll make an episode of it and give you credit. Additionally, if you want to support this podcast, go to patreon.com slash Historia Obscura and become a patron. And of course, I can't go without once again thanking this episode's sponsor, Anchor. They are by far the easiest way to make a podcast, so if you want to make your own, go to anchor.fm. With that said, this is Jack from Historia Obscura, signing off, but not for long.